In Tibetan Buddhism, mantras are sacred syllables that evoke the energy of a Buddha. We say them to wake that divine energy up in ourselves. I want to start by talking about mantras in kind of a general way. I want to talk about what are mantras, how do they work, or how does the Tibetan tradition understand that they work, and finally, how can you actually use them and your daily meditation practice life. So this is not a talk for like advanced experts or, you know, if you've, like I, I practice in the Tibetan tradition. <clears throat> so we use a lot of mantras in our practice. And so this is really more basic than that. We're gonna talk about mantras in terms of general principles. And um, I will offer you a couple of different examples of mantras that you can use toward the end of this video. Uh, slash live session. <clears throat> so welcome, welcome everybody. Um, it is lovely to see people's little icons as you join this session. So the first thing I want to talk about is actually just what is a mantra? And I want to be clear that I'm talking about this topic really from the perspective of Tibetan Buddhism. So if I were going to do this as like a more secular oriented talk, I would have a very different answer for like, what is a mantra? But I'm going to go straight up traditional. We're going to talk about sacred beings like Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and sacred energies and the fact that we all have Buddha nature. Vivek says, love that white Taratanka. Thank you. Thank you. Vivek recognizes my white Taratanka. There's also a little bitty green Tara that in your screen probably is on the top left. Um, there's a Mahakala, um, I think an Amitabha at the top. So I've got, I've got a bunch of Buddhas joining me for this session. <clears throat> so I am not a Sanskritist, but one of my teachers, Harvey Aronson, is a Sanskritist or was earlier in his career. And um, the explanation that he's given that I really, it clicks with me for mantras and what they mean traditionally is that the word mantra in Sanskrit comes from the two words manas traya and manas means mind and then traya <clears throat> in this context means to protect your mind. So like the basic function of a mantra is to protect your mind. So what does that mean? Um, in the context of Tibetan Buddhism, and you've probably heard me talk about this before if you are following me on Insight Timer or if you follow my YouTube channel or podcast or whatever. I've talked about Buddha nature because it's super, super important in Tibetan Buddhism. But basically, the reason that mantras protect our minds is that they remind us that we are already Buddhas. They remind us to try to inhabit that like sacred spiritual space or that sacred identity within us instead of getting drawn into kind of the daily humdrum laundry list. I have to buy groceries and make dinner and blah, blah, blah kind of mindset that we all get stuck in. That is definitely one aspect of who we are. That's like the conventional truth of our being, but our ultimate truth is Buddha nature. And that just means that all of us are already Buddhas. So at the most basic level, what we're doing with mantras is reminding ourselves of who we are. And that is why you notice I'm wearing some uh, beads here. Other folks will have like a wrist mala that's easy to pull off and, and do a few mantras quickly. That's why it's super important 
to be able to use mantras just whenever you feel like it in daily life to remind yourself, oh yeah, I am a Buddha, aren't I? So what we're going to talk about today really is this meaning of mantras as sacred syllables that evoke the energy of deities or in Buddhist terms of Buddhas. They evoke sacred energy. So in the, in the traditional sense, a mantra, so we're going to talk uh, about Green Tara's mantra, and on Thursday there's going to be a practice. Yeah, Vivek says we all inherently possess Buddha nature. Exactly. You can't lose it. It doesn't go away. We can die thousands of times. We can be horrible dictators in multiple lifetimes. We still have Buddha nature, and sooner or later we're going to kind of arrive back home in that Buddha nature. <clears throat> So, as I said, on Thursday we're going to talk about Green Tara's mantra, which is Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Soha. Um, that's the Tibetan pronunciation. And it's a very sacred mantra. It's connected with the energy of like a swift, compassionate female response to suffering. That's who Green Tara is. She's female, she's green, um, she's very like rapid in her response, and it's said that she saves from fears. So I like to interpret that as saving me personally from anxiety. Um, back in the day she was said to be, you know, powerful enough to save you from the fear of elephants or the fear of floods, which is a pretty real thing still these days. Um, so when we say the mantra, for instance, of Green Tara, Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Soha, like the original idea of what we're doing is that each of those syllables is like, like the syllable itself, when you say it, the energy of that speech is the energy of that Buddha. And I know a lot of times people want like translations of mantras, everybody wants to know what they mean. Um, Green Tara's mantra really just means I, I bow to the liberator Tara. Um, <clears throat> but it's not about a literal translation. Like in this sense of what a mantra is, every single syllable of that mantra is sacred, first of all, because it's Sanskrit. So you never translate a Sanskrit mantra like Tibetans didn't translate it into Tibetan. We don't translate it into English or any other language that's modern because the idea is, at least for Tibetans, um, that really Sanskrit <clears throat> like holds the energy, it holds the sacred energy of those Buddhas, of, of other deities in the syllables. So the syllables themselves are the energy of Green Tara, for instance. And I, I just want to say this whole topic of mantras and doing, you know, deity yoga practice, it, all of this falls under sort of the umbrella of Vajrayana Buddhism, <clears throat> which you might also call Tantric Buddhism. And the thing to know about that is a lot of these, to really do the practices and go down deep, you kind of need to have a basis already in the tradition. There are some preliminary practices you need to do. Optimally, you would get um, what's called a wong or like a, an initiation into that deity that you wanted to do practice in. So like if you wanted to really dive deep into the practice of Green Tara, the best way to do it would be to find, you know, 
a teacher, study with them, eventually take transmission for green Tara and then be able to, to do that practice. But most of us nowadays, I think, don't necessarily have access to a teacher that easily. Um, probably a lot of folks have never received that initiation. Um, I, I've received it. Like I've done a lot of practice on green Tara and I really love her. So, um, you know, I'm kind of speaking from my experience, having dived into that type of um, practice of green Tara, but this is super important. You don't have to have that initiation. You don't have to have, you know, a teacher and a lineage and all that just to use um, these mantras in a basic way and get started. So that's all we're doing today. I just want to make that clear going into it so that if you're wondering, you know, are we transgressing any rules? Because there are certain rules and restrictions around, you know, who should be doing what practices. No, we're not. We're just going to do a very basic version of a little bit of green tar practice, you know, just, just a little sample today and then a little bit more on Thursday. Um, but in Tibet and in Tibetan cultures, green tar is widely beloved. Everyone loves her. Everyone can say her mantra and it's okay. Just wanted to put that out there. Okay. So the definition of a mantra is that it protects your mind. And most basically it protects your mind from falling into a sense of your ordinary self. So the point of saying green Tara's mantra, for instance, is that we remind ourselves like there is that energy within us that is already compassionate, is already awakened, already has the capacity to just respond with whatever is needed in a given situation. That's what we mean when we say everyone has Buddha nature. So does that make sense? Please feel free to, to leave a comment or a question um, if that doesn't make sense to you. And, and I've also now talked a bit about um, the second point that I wanted to cover, which is like, how do mantras work? Oh, hello, Shruti, hello. Greetings, greetings. I think you're joining from India, right? We have a couple of folks from, you know, what Tibetans think of as, well, what is the home of the Dharma and what Tibetans think of as like the source of their tradition. Um, so we were talking about like, why, why do mantras work? And I guess the first thing we should talk about is like, what are mantras supposed to do for us? So we've talked about that a little bit in terms of um, protecting the mind. Oh, thank you, Shruti. That's very kind. <laughs> we've talked about protecting the mind, um, reminding ourselves of our true nature, our Buddha nature. There's another side of this too that I just want to say, and you know, I think to maybe a lot of, uh, a lot of like modern people who have been raised in like a more of a scientific context, this might not make as much sense or might not feel intuitive. Um, but I've been, I've been practicing, you know, these sorts of, of, of practices for a long time. And I feel convinced now that they're, when we say these mantras, we're not just influencing our own body, our own mind, our own energy system. I really think there's also an element of reality that responds to us. So whether you want to call that Buddhas, whether you want to call that God or the universe, you know, the energy of all that is, there is something that when we call on it with these mantras, these sacred syllables, it resonates. 
Like I think there is a result that shows up. I wanna actually, Joshua, I see your question. I'm gonna answer it in one second, but I wanted to share a story first. Um, so I practice in the, the Nyingma school, the old school of Tibetan Buddhism, and a very important figure for us is called Guru Rinpoche, and he's considered like, you know, the person who spread Buddhism, at least tantric forms of Buddhism, from India to Tibet in about, you know, the 8th century of the Common Era. So anyway, he's super important. Um, his is a mantra I've said just so many times. It's really beloved in my tradition. So one time I had flown to Nepal and when you get into Nepal, at least like flying from Houston, I always get in at like two o'clock in the morning or some ridiculous time when there's like nobody on the streets. And, you know, in this case I had already arranged, like I had a prepaid taxi. So there's somebody who came to the airport to, no wait, I think I hadn't. I think I just, I prepaid a taxi at the airport taking me to, <laughs> Vivek says, wow, I'm inclined to wear the Gaelic school. They're all great. They're all wonderful. This just happens to be where I landed. So anyway, it's the middle of the night. Like I hire somebody at the airport to take me to my guest house. And I'm like, do you know where this is? And he's like, yes, sure, no problem. And it's, it's him and another person. So there's like actually two guys in the car with me I just got off like 24 plus hours of travel. I'm wasted. And we're heading to the guest house and he can't find it. And I'm like, can he not find it? Are they going to kidnap me? I was a little bit freaked out. It's the middle of the night, super tired. So I started saying Guru Rinpoche's mantra. I'm just like saying it, saying it, saying it in the backseat of the car. I'm making this little motion as if I were counting <laughs> beads on my mala. Um, and and the guy stops for directions and who does he stop and ask but like the brother-in-law of the person who owns the guest house where I'm staying. So the guy I think actually got in with us maybe and like showed us to, to where we were going. It was the best possible outcome. I'm not sure that there's any connection between me saying Guru Rinpoche's mantra and uh, who we met when this guy, this taxi driver stopped for directions. But to me, like that's, that's one thing that can happen when you use mantras, you kind of invoke something in the universe that can be helpful, it can be protective, it can be supportive. Um, <clears throat> so turning back to the chat, um, first of all, thank you so much, Ursula. Ursula made a donation in support of this teaching. Um, we're actually supposed to remind y'all to do that and I often forget. So thank you, Ursula. If anybody else feels like making a donation, that is wonderful and supportive. Um, but Joshua says, does each syllable fill one breath each? <clears throat> so I want to actually address that question when we get to the topic of, um, of how to use mantras. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about it then. Um, but I also just want to say, like, while we're on the topic of mantras and how they work, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> interest in mantras and chakras. And if, if we were doing like a full on version of like green Tara practice, you know, we would be imagining her at our heart center and she would be sending out like green beams in all directions. She would be, you know, blessing every living being in the universe. And it's very heart chakra oriented. 
Um, there are other <clears throat> forms of practice where other chakras might be important or you might visualize a syllable there, you might visualize a deity or like multiple deities at different chakras. Um, but I don't want to make a general statement connecting chakras and mantras. Um, like in the, the most general thing I want to say is that typically if you're if you're saying these mantras and you're feeling like the blessings of the deity or the buddha that you're you know saying the mantra of are going out in all directions generally there's a sense that that happens from the heart and you know if we're talking about green tara's mantra which is all about compassion it's a heart opening exercise anyway so if you want to associate you know these mantras that you would say with a chakra i would recommend the heart center there's tons of different practices, different mantras, different ways of connecting the mantras with the chakras. And it's kind of too much to talk about right now. But just, you know, one of the questions in the group that I have, <coughs> um, it's the circle on Insight Timer, which is called Buddhist Wisdom Modern Life. Everybody's welcome. It's a public one. You can join it anytime. Um, one of the questions was, you know, what's the connection between chakras and, and mantras? <coughs> Excuse me. And the answer is, there's a lot of connections. When we start doing mantra work, it's very much about the energy system of the body. Vajrayana Buddhism or Tantra Buddhism is Tantric Buddhism is very much about the body's energy system and transforming that so that our natural wisdom and compassion can like arise instead of our <laughs> sort of more conventional crappiness sometimes as humans or as beings. Um, yeah, but it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to make a general statement about mantras and chakras. So Vivek says, Hi, Terry. Vivek says, I'm at a perfect place today. Would love to hear different perspective and commentary. Tumo, Dakinis, and other topics too. Blessings again. Thank you, Vivek. I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, put that in the back burner for future topics. Um, all of those are super important. I would love to talk about Dakinis. So maybe, maybe sooner rather than later. And Dakinis, for those who don't know, are like sacred female wisdom beings in the Tibetan tradition. Um, and they really embody like a very powerful, spontaneous awakening energy. But that's for another day. Uh, technically, you know, often folks who are considered Dakinis will be also considered emanations of Green Tara. So like they're not really separate. Um, but I don't want to dive too much into, into these other aspects of, you know, Green Tara Tantra practice. Hi, Terry. Thank you. Welcome to this live session. <coughs> Excuse me. So the last thing I want to talk about, um, and hopefully we can spend the rest of our time, except for Q&A, so feel free to drop some questions or comments in the chat. We can come back to them. But the main thing I want to talk about now is how do you actually use mantras in meditation practice? And I want to give you three different answers. <laughs> so the first thing is, you know, a lot of people take this word mantra and they use it kind of loosely. So people will say like, I am whatever, like they'll take an affirmation and say that as their mantra. Um, I actually have done this too. So this is the first thing that I want to talk about. Um, for me, reading Brene Brown's amazing book, The Gifts of Imperfection, um, I 
I came up with kind of this mantra for myself. She talks a lot um, in the chapter on scarcity and fear of the dark, uh, which is also, I think, the chapter on joy. I think that's really interesting, that connection between <clears throat> overcoming scarcity and finding joy. But anyway, she talks a lot about the way that we just feel like we're not enough. Like we wake up in the morning and we feel like, oh, I woke up too late or I didn't get enough sleep. Like we just start out from a place of feeling deficient. So a mantra, a mantra, I mean, I call this like a pretend mantra because, I mean, I made it up. It's, it's not Sanskrit. It's not related to a, a Buddha or a deity, but I find it helpful in the sense of protecting my mind, manastraya. Um, so this mantra is already enough. <clears throat> You're welcome to use this if you want. Like you see versions of this everywhere. It's not really unique to me. Um, so if I'm feeling stressed out, if I'm feeling like I don't have enough time or, oh my God, there's so much stuff to do. Um, <clears throat> I like to, to work where I take little short five minute breaks at times during the day. And I can just stop and think already enough, already enough. I, my worth is not determined by my productivity or my output or my achievements or like any of that stuff. I am already enough. It's a return to me to like a more conventional sense of Buddha nature, you know, to this sense that there is already something worthwhile and wonderful within each of us. Um, so that's one way that you can use mantras in your meditation practice. And it can be whatever mantra works for you. But I feel, I just have to say this, like I think a lot of these affirmations that people take as mantras you know, if you're thinking like, I am going to be rich or I'm going to finally arrive at whatever accomplishment you're trying to arrive at, personally, I feel like there's already an element of lack in what you're saying. Um, you know, if you have to have X amount of dollars in your bank account to be okay as a person, then that means you're not okay right now. Like it just, it feels like a way of denying your own Buddha nature. So I prefer something like already enough that doesn't have any goal. It's not oriented towards something else. It's just where I am right now is actually fine. <laughs> and it's hard to, to keep that in mind, I think, in our modern fast paced context. <clears throat> yeah, Ursula says, for me, mantras help to go into deeper concentration and meditation. Yeah, so this actually is a good kind of bridge to the second and third ways I want to talk about, which are... You can use a really simple mantra, something like OM, to kind of orient your mind toward what is sacred. So I think we all know OM. There are different interpretations of OM. Um, there's some great commentary on OM. It's more in the Hindu context, and I don't really feel super qualified to talk about that. But but I'll just say, <laughs> you know, there's this sense of OM is like there's different components to it. Um, part of this has to do with the way that a syllable is constructed in Sanskrit and it's the same in Tibetan where there's like a root letter and then there's a vowel marker and then there's like a little little circle with a little dot on top which is um, it, it just it slightly modifies the sound of the syllable but it also is typically only used with um, with sacred syllables. So om has to do with like the beginning, the middle, the end of that sound, and then the space after the sound ceases. So in a way, you can use just the syllable OM reflecting on, I mean, the, 
the way it's explained is um not that you would say it that way but like the 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 root syllable or the root letter is ah the vowel marker is o and then the little um designation it's anyway it's a little bit technical but the, like the little semicircle and the dot above the syllable mean that it's om instead of o and all of those together make up the syllable and then after the syllable is finished there's the silence so you can just think of it in terms of you know our daily process of beginning middle ending and the space in between and i think we tend to forget about the space in between so if you're sounding the syllable om and you want to think of that of beginnings middles endings and space it can be a really helpful way to bring your mind back to just that sacred orientation but the thing I want to end with, and I think this kind of goes to Ursula's point, <clears throat> is that you can use a mantra like, I'm just going to use Green Tara's mantra here, um, but I'll put two in the chat. So, and, and that's, that's a very, very popular mantra in Tibet and also I think everywhere. Um, so if we're saying, for instance, the, the mantra of Green Tara, which is Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Soha, you can use that in the moment the way that I did when like something scary is happening or when you're feeling anxiety or when you just wanna like call on your own natural ability to like feel compassion. Um, you can use that in the moment. Um, but if you're doing more of a sustained session with a mantra like this, which is what we'll do on Thursday, the mantra itself begins to become the object of meditation. So you're saying it, in the beginning, you might be unfamiliar with it. You might be kind of having to read it off the screen. Om dare tu dare tu soha. But once you're really used to it, you can kind of bring your attention into your body and have that sense. Sorry, my phone keeps buzzing. I forgot to turn it off. Um, you can have that sense of the energy of green Tara at your heart center. And it's helpful to have a sense of like the flavor of that energy, you know, that she's swift, she's compassionate, she's responsive. Um, she's like a mother. As soon as the mother hears the call of her child, she just immediately, you know, goes to take care of that child. So when we call on her, it's, there's that same sense of immediacy. So you get some flavor of that. And it's nice also to have maybe an image if if you're more of a visual person and you want to see these this like representation of you know her different traits in a visual form so you would have maybe an image of a buddha in front of you that's why a tanka uh, that's what these scroll paintings are called that's why they're kind of helpful to have if you want to look at that deity and be reminded of their characteristics um, traditionally you might visualize that deity, but the way we'll do it, like the very simple way is just, you know, having a sense of the qualities of that Buddha or that deity, having a sense that this, the energy of the mantra itself fills you up. It turns you into that deity and it turns everyone else around you into that deity. All living beings become green Tara. You imagine rays going out from your heart as green Tara, touching all the beings around you. Everybody turns to green Tara. And by the end of your practice session, you're kind of just sitting in this like web of 
green Tara energy, feeling your connections with everyone else, feeling the, the possibility for awakening, the possibility for kind of melting into our own Buddha nature. <sighs> so yeah, so that's the way that's closest to a traditional use of mantras where you can incorporate um, mantras into your practice. And I, I encourage you, if you feel like it, just to experiment, to play with these different ways of using mantras. Um, I actually have on my YouTube channel, if you go to YouTube and just search my name, you should find my channel. And I have a couple of videos, um, one about mantras and one about um, beads and how to use them with mantra practice. So if you're curious about this topic, you can find more information there. Um, if you have questions now, please drop them in chat. If you have questions and you'd rather have more of a conversation, because this is, we're about to close this session, um, <clears throat> you can go to my, um, my circle here on Insight Timer, which is called Buddhist Wisdom uh, Modern Life. There's also a podcast by that same name where I, um, I have some, you know, basic teachings. I'll be putting the recording of this session on that podcast. So it should be showing up sometime over the next couple of days in the feed. So if you missed the beginning, you want to re-listen, you can do that. As long as this video turns out okay, I'm going to be posting it to YouTube. Um, so you can also, you know find it there in a couple of days. Renuka asks, where can we find your podcast? You can find it basically anywhere. Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. I don't know. Yeah, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, it should be available unless it's just like a really, really niche like app or something. Um, but, uh, oh, Renuka says, first time listening to you. Thank you. Welcome. 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 Um, it is lovely to, to see new faces and also to see people returning. Uh, it's, I really love that aspect of, um, of Insight Timer. Vivek says, I cannot sleep without listening to Om Mani Pei Mei Hong the whole night in a loop. Is it okay for me? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's a sense in which the more you can kind of soak your mind in these mantras, like in the sacred energy of the mantras, the more it's just waking up those qualities within you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of YouTube videos that have uh, people singing these mantras. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, Jenny asked, Claire, could you, could you share your last name so I can find you on YouTube? Yes, I will type it into the chat. But yeah, basically, if you look for any of these mantras on YouTube, you'll find a lot of different folks um, who have recorded them. And um, you can get, you know, through streaming services, you can get like long tracks of people singing these mantras. And like Vivek says, you just put them on a loop and then you have a mantra going, you know, in your head all day long or all night. It's wonderful. So I just uh, entered my name in chat. So if you want to search for me on YouTube, you can find me. There's a couple of videos on this topic there. This should be there before too long. Um, I would love for you, if you're interested in this stuff, to join my circle and give me ideas for future future sessions. Like Vivek gave the idea, several different ideas, um, but the one I'm probably most likely to pick up is the idea about Daikinis, sacred female wisdom beings. Renuka says, this is, this is such a good question. Renuka asks, what are some of the benefits you notice chanting the green Tara mantra? 
Oh, nice. Ursula says there's a 45-minute mantra on Insight Timer, Om Mani Peme Hung, which I listen to when I'm in difficult times. Yeah, so nice to have those kind of, you know, chants just available for us to give support. Um, <laughs> Renuka says, what's your circle? It's called Buddhist Wisdom Modern Life. I just entered it in chat. Um, yeah, so some of the some of the benefits I've noticed of doing Green Tara's mantra in particular is it's very it's very energizing. Um, like the energy that I think of when I think of Green Tara is like, you know, it's it's awake, it's aware, it's compassionate, it's it's responsive without being like anxious. And I think personally, I tend more toward like anxiety. So when I feel that, you know, just to be able to kind of shift over into green Tara mode, it feels more spacious. Um, it's still a very like, let's get some stuff done kind of energy, but it's not, it's not wrapped up in that small sense of self. You know, it's, it's more of like a spacious feeling of just allowing that energy to flow through instead of, I have to make everything happen. So I hope that's helpful, Renuka, in terms of like, what benefit have I personally found? Renuka says, I will see you in the circle. Woohoo, that's awesome. I love having people join. And I love also having topics suggested for future talks or meditations. So if you feel like joining, you're always welcome. Um, all right, we've gone long. I meant to wrap this up at 30 minutes and it's already gone to almost 37. So I need to... I need to wrap it up, but thank you so much for joining. Um, I hope this helps you start experimenting with mantras, or if you're already using them, I hope it helps to understand better. You'll find a lot of different mantra meditation tracks on Insight Timer or on YouTube, different places, even, you know, music services. So I hope you find something that'll help you experiment with mantras, and I would love to hear how that goes for you.